Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Craig Lurch Jr. with Lurch & Associates Real Estate in Abington, Pennsylvania. Last year, he closed 35 transactions with a total sales volume of $12 million. His average sales price was $342,000, of which 50% were buyers and 50% were sellers. He operates a team with three members, one office manager, one social media manager, and one team leader. Craig Lurch Jr. is the team leader of Lurch & Associates Real Estate. He has been an agent for 25 years. In his best year, Craig sold 350 homes worth $24 million. In this call, Craig talks about the power of being small, shrinking your team, and raising your net profit, generating 50% of his business from past clients and sphere of influence, how to add three people to your database every day for free, staying in front of your people with a Monday morning coffee email, raising his average sales price by over 300%, establishing and dominating a high-end geographic farm, maintaining a 76% profit margin, investing in real estate without your own money, team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Craig. Thank you for having me, Mike. Craig, before we get into what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. I guess as the saying goes, I've always been in real estate. People said, what did you want to be when you grow up? I said, I don't know. I'm always going to be a realtor. I was born in SOB, which means that's the son of a broker. And for those who may be in the business and that are an SOB like I was or his daughter, you run into an issue that in my family, there was no nepotism. Whatever you did, you got yelled at in front of everybody. You got no leads. Everybody wanted to bury you and everybody thought that uh, you were going to be going to the top because you were being fed. Well, not in my family, not in my house and my dad's real estate company. So in the first three weeks of business, I decided I wanted to be the best I could be. And I decided to latch myself on to different mentors. I mean, one of my mentors was Alan Dom, who a lot of people know, who I've been privileged to know in the city of Philadelphia now for over 25 years and a dear friend. And he said to me in the first three weeks of business, he goes, how many houses did you sell? And I thought I was all good. I said, three. He goes, how'd you do that? I said, I sold a house the first day. He says, how'd you do that? I said, I asked the people. He says, what'd you mean? I said, I asked them. I said, I took them out, showed them the house. I turned around and said, do you want to buy it? They said, yeah. I said, so I learned right then and there, you got to ask. A lot of people won't respond in a real estate business um, to wanting to buy unless you're asking. And that goes for referrals. That goes for price reductions. That goes for you know, making offers on properties, accepting the properties, accepting home inspections. You got to be willing to ask and you got to learn how to ask. Um, so I got in the business early and I learned very hard knocks that as you try to grow, expenses will grow. 
and it, they always say fake it till you make it. Well, understand you can fake yourself out of business too. You can fake yourself out of playing with the drawers full of paperwork and I'm shuffling papers here to there. Your job is bottom line every day, every day, belly to belly with buyers, sellers, and negotiating contracts. That's it. Those are your number one, two, and three dollar productive activities. Paperwork can be done by other people. Social media can be done by other people. Banking can be done by other people. Your jobs, buyers, sellers, negotiate contracts. And through that, if you exceed all these people's expectations and give them more than they're expecting, they will ooze back in giving you referrals. You can't ex accept that you're going to get referrals. You have to understand that you've got to earn it and you've got to earn the right. I tell all of the guys that used to work for me, and I tell my wife and my, my kids and my friends and everybody the same thing. At any point, somebody in this world would be more than happy to take your place. So if you leave a door cracked open with your clients, you leave a door cracked open with your wife and not knocking on the door, your significant other, going on dates and treating like them, they're, they're the utopia, somebody else will be more than happy to take your place on earth, and you'll be standing on the sideline watching them play the game. And I chose in life early, I am never letting anybody come into my life, open my door, and take my clients, my friends, my family, and my wife. So I work under the closed door theory that I got to treat everybody way up on a podium all the time. And that's kind of how I went through business. But almost put myself out of business also very young with a huge ego and spending money and a big team and all that stuff and realized I can sell a lot of homes. I mean, sold, sold 340, 350 homes a year at one point when the average sale price was 100000 and realized my bottom line was horrible. I was actually almost owing money after taxes at the end. So I decided to revamp it as I was getting older into my early 30s and really got focused on running like a business. And again, something that Alan Domit shared with me is the first 15 days of business should be to pay your bills. The rest of the 15 days of the month should be to build your wealth. And if you're in real estate to pay your bills, you're in the wrong business. Real estate is here to build wealth, and it's through buying real estate, trading real estate, and putting conglomerates together to buy real estate, whether it's family, friends, relatives, and, and, and having a residual income later on in life and get out of having a job and having a business. So those were the things that were taught to me early, and I've tried to stay to that. It's very difficult in a tough market. But that's kind of where we went with it. And that's kind of the story where I'm at. My brother's in the business with me. 11 years ago, 12 years ago, left the big franchise that my family had to compete against the family, have a small boutique. My brother's with me here. One point, we had 27 people until five years ago and decided to get rid of everybody because everybody wanted to play real order in a down market. We were paying the expenses, and I decided we're going to play on bottom line, not ego of sales numbers. And like flying below the radar. So we run a boutique real estate company. We control a lot of market share where we're at now presently, which we can talk about the niche and the geographic market. And also, my stepbrother's in the business, owns a big franchise. My dad's in the business, owns a big franchise. My stepmother's in the business, owns a big franchise. My sister's in a business with another company. So needless to say, Thanksgiving at our house is really exciting, Mike. <laughs> 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 I assume no one talks about real estate at those get-togethers. Nah, it's five different real estate companies all in the same neighborhood, and we all compete. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that's great. Now, how long have you been in the business? I got into business right out of college. I was 25 years old. I really didn't know what else to do. I actually had my real estate license at 18. I had all my CRS classes done by the time I graduated college. In the summer, I came home and took all my CRS classes. 
um, and then got out of college, needed X amount of sides and sales to get my CRS, and also I had all my broker license classes done. So all I needed was my sales to qualify for that. So um, I was in a unique spot that I figured if I'm in downtime and, and I can't sell yet, I might as well take the credentials so when I get the sales, I can get them under my belt, and I did. It was interesting because I got out of school and my mom and dad were divorced, and my mom hated real estate, hated it, hated it, hated it. She said to me, Craig, you go do something else. And by the way, my mom was one of the only few people who can call me Craig. So um, I decided to go for this. And at the same time, I found out in that time period, within three weeks of graduating, that my mother had um, melanoma and brain cancer, and my dad had melanoma. And they kind of diagnosed my dad to die and my mom to live. Well, six months later, the opposite happened. My mom had passed at 44 years young. And my dad uh, was alive and still is today, fighting cancer three times. The guy doesn't want him, keeps throwing him back, and we keep laughing. We call him... uh, uh, Jackie Gleason and uh, Ronnie Dangerfield and Archie Bunker all together. And uh, kind of, <laughs> I think I'd like, no, you can stay there. But yeah, he's, you know, he's very good in real estate, but that, that was our ongoing joke. But I made a commitment at that point to my mom before she died. She goes, Craig, do not go through the ups and downs like we did in the family and all that stuff. You've got to make sure if you're taking care of staff and family, they're taken care of to the end and you're the last one to be taken care of always. And I said, I promise I will, because I know I'll see you again. And uh, that's kind of where I go business every day, knowing that I'm going to see her again one day, and that I can live up to my honorability that, you know, I made it, I did well, and I kept her honor in being a gentleman in the business. So that's where I came from, came from the business. I think that's a long story to 25 years ago why I started and how I got there. Moving forward to today, how many homes did you sell last year? I was involved on record, we'll say 35. I was involved in more of that because I've also gotten into the business of doing buy, sales, flips, and making money that way in an opportunity when the market was down. So it's going to classify as 35. Our, our sales volume, we got out of a market. We grew in a market through the years, and our fruition of my clients moved to the neighborhood where I ultimately live. And we raised our average sale price significantly. Our average sale price used to be 100, 120,000. And over the past, you know, 10 years, I've really worked hard through the marketing of mainly sphere of influence, you know, being where you're at, letting people know where you're at, being a member of the country club, being a member of, the, of, a, of a private school system, being, a, you know, um, being in the, in the affluent area of where the people hang out. I've raised my sale price and raised it into the $400,000 range, which makes a lot nicer. When the market's down, it hurts more. But when that market's on, whether you're selling 120 or you're selling 400, your goal is to be in that niche. And that's, that's kind of where we've gone with it. So my volume's up, our net's up, but our, our uh, units are down. But again, I don't have to do as many and also have uh, fun doing it. Where I used to go to work every day in cufflinks and a tie and a suit and almost be intimidating, I did a lot of DISC work and realized a lot of people just want people like themselves and they want to work with people that are comfortable, not intimidating. And I started asking people, I said, you guys like me more in a suit? You like me more in a pair of, you know, slacks and a golf shirt and a pair of loafers? They're like, we like you like this, man. This is good. You know, we don't feel pressure and stuff. So I took that into consideration. I have some clients that are million-dollar buyers. They come out and flip-flops, Tommy Bahama shorts and, and, and Hawaiian shirt. Guess what? I know they're wearing that. And guess what I'm wearing? I'm wearing the same thing. No flip-flops. So I always wear, you know, loafers, though. But I, you dress the part. You, you work with your clients. 
The saying goes in marriage relationships. You want to be happily married? Hang out with happily married couples. You want to be divorced? Hang out with divorced people. That's what's going to happen. So you want to be successful? Hang out with successful people that are buying successful real estate and sell real estate to them. Live in a neighborhood, hang out in the neighborhood, go to those bars, those restaurants, and get into that sphere and become one of them. People like to work with people like themselves, and that's DIS theory. You know, so that's how I've raised up my sale price and also done it with zero print ad, zero expenses print ad, none. No ego marketing list with me. No, I have a house advertised, zero print for the past six years. You've been in the business 25 years. You've created a pretty large past client database. How many people are in that past client database? Well over 8,000, well over 8,000. We have... 3,000 emails that we use that we've gotten out of print mailing to also. We've gone to using constant contact. We use Monday morning coffee. We've gotten their emails. We get their emails when we first meet people. We stay in touch with them. We actually classify them in the groups and things of that nature, and they get an email every Monday, every Monday morning, Monday morning coffee with Craig. And I write it. Everybody's like, who, you know, who does that? It's a great job. Well, I want that coming from me. I had somebody doing it, and about three years ago, I took it back. It takes me about an hour, but I put, pick the recipe of the week I want in there. I pick a house of mine that I want and put it in there every week. But I'll also be honest, with, with our multiple listing, we have reciprocity, which means that we're allowed to, you know, we share lists, all our properties out there for sale through the multiple listing and on everybody's website. So sometimes I may not have a good house or I think it's a good house and I'll post that house. And I put in the bottom, you know, listed with another broker and, you know, contact me, you know, I'm looking to see if you know of a buyer. So there's nothing ethically wrong with it. But again, it becomes perception. And we do pick up buyers on really good houses that are up there listed that I know. Hey, you know, does anybody know anybody for this house? Family, friend, relative. And guess what? We get those. We probably get six sales a year by marketing houses that are really good deals in really good markets where people may be looking that you never knew. Did you say you have 8,000 past clients or 8,000 people in your database? Got 8,000 people in a database, which could be husband and wife, whatever it may be. If you go back 25 years, and there were, there were 10 years there running that I was over 300 transactions a year, so you got 3,000 there. And then all the other ones were at least, and then you go down to there, 150 to 250. There's well over 5,000 past clients that I've got in my short amount of time of 25 years. I'm now dealing with third generations, some people. Wow, that's incredible. Grandchildren of people that I took care of when I was first in the business that were in their 60s, and I'm, in their, and I'm dealing with their grandchildren. And some, and some of the people are still alive. They're in their 80s, and I just did a house for a lady the other day. I knew her 25 years ago, and I just sold her last house for her before she goes to a retirement home now, and she's in her 80s. And she hugged me, and she says, I remember the first time we moved from you three years ago, or three times ago, and this was our last house, and you're finally helping me with it again. So that's touching. When people come in, and they hug you, and they kiss you, and they open that door, and they say, hey, I'm going to let my guard down. Don't mess up this chapter of my life. And that's a big honor to me. And that, that's really neat when you can deal with three generations. Let's step back for a minute and look at your overall market. Let's give everybody a picture of where you are. Where is Abington, Pennsylvania? If you look at the city of Philadelphia, you have the river on one side, which is the Delaware River that goes over to New Jersey. And then you have above the city suburbs that people commute into the city. 
from Abington, Pennsylvania, which is pretty much Montgomery County, which aligns the northern part from the river all the way down around western, northwestern, down to the, the southwest of the city is Montgomery County, which is mainly where I deal with, and also in the city I deal with, minus downtown. I do not go downtown. I do not do condos. Alan Dom deals with that. Other guys I know, that's like being a lamb and going into the lion's den. You get too many parking tickets. I don't know condo associations, and it's not me. So I eliminated that. So I know that I'm going to deal with things outside of the center city basis into the breaking into the suburbs of the metro area within the city limits and then into the suburbs of Philadelphia. I can go from a row home that's 15 feet wide, 50 feet long, um, which is 12, 1,300 square feet. That could be 110,000 to within 20 minutes in a $5 million, 30,000 square foot house with another client, all within the same day of my client base. Majority of my homes are single homes now or twins. Twins are homes that have one on each side with one common firewall between. Some people call those duplexes. We call them twins. And then row homes are multiples of three or four. People call them townhouses also. But that's kind of where we deal with. So my, my range with that. And then small investment properties and commercial, which is not in my sales volume. This is my residential numbers I gave you. But I've come into a fruition of doing that also because um, my clients are in it. They trust me. They know I may not have all the commercial answers, but I can get the answers, but they trust me. That's the difference. So I'm starting to do small bit, small things like that, apartment buildings that are a million and a half, two million dollars, and things of that nature, which are nice checks and nice because then we manage them too for the people. So that's kind of the market that I'm dealing with. How's your overall market been doing? Our market didn't get a hit as bad as a lot of markets. We took an 18 to 21% decrease. We've gotten about 8% back. Our sales are down overall, but up 26% compared to last year at this time in the markets I deal with. Prices are not up. Activities up. Prices are balanced. We're still having issues with appraisals, big appraisal issues on homes over 500000 and things of that nature. You get into the parts of the city, though, which are now expanding and have really picked up that hundred dollars to $250,000. You list it. It's priced right. It's in good condition. It's gone within days. But again, you still have the appraisal issue, but it's gone within days. There's a lot of first-time buyers. Even though the interest rates you know, jumped up a little bit into the high fours right now, they're still awesome. And there's still great programs out there for buyers that are first-time home buyers with the FHA or the uh, conventional no PMI insurances with the right way and the right mortgage guy. And I've got an awesome mortgage guy that's been with me for 18 years that I've dealt with in a relationship as far as he's always got my back. He says he's getting it to the table. It gets to the table. Sounds to me like you're generating your business from two major sources. You've got past clients and sphere of influence in, in one side, and then you also have some geographic farming. Are those your two major ways that you're generating business? Absolutely. I don't spend any print ad. I do some just sold, just listed stuff, but I do it to the same 300 people in the geographic area in my neighborhood where I live. That's about it. That's where I do my mailing. The rest of it's all done through constant contact and out there shaking hands. My kids will not go to the food store with me. They won't go. They said, Dad, it takes too long. All we did was walk here to do it. 
get something quickly, and I talk to everybody. You know, it's one of those things that I said, you know, we've got an English language. Let's use it. Let's talk to people. Let's not be shy. But they're like, God, Dad, everywhere you go, you got to talk to somebody. We were driving up the turnpike two hours away from my house, going to a football meeting for my my son, I guess about two months ago, and. Uh, Somebody driving next to me looks over and they give me thumbs up. And I'm like, hey, Craig, how you doing? My son's like, I cannot believe we are two hours out of being from home. And somebody's on the turnpike next to you at 70 miles an hour. And they notice you and your car, you know, just knowing you. And they wa- they're waving at you. I cannot believe it. It's just one of those things. When I go to dinner, I need to go 30 minutes out of my area. <laughs> Unless I want to have a lot of drinks lined behind me or have an interruption all night. <laughs> Let's break into your business that you're doing with your past clients and sphere of influence. You started to outline that for us earlier, where you've got basically a database of around 5,000 or so past clients. Start getting into those details a little bit for us. For instance, you've told us how many. How do people get into your database? I get the past clients. What about sphere of influence? You said you're meeting all these people. How do you get their contact information? Every person I meet, I sometimes will give a business card to People say that's crazy, but I want to be in control. I always say, oh, I forgot it, but please give me one of yours. So now I'm getting their information. Two is they're going to get two things. One is they're going to get an email from me right away. Two is that then they're getting my information versus dumping it in their pocket as like a networking thing. And three is that I send them a handwritten note on top of it. I always send handwritten notes to people when I meet them the first time. That or even when I go on appointments to meet people the first time, I believe in the beg for forgiveness theory is that I don't know whether I'm going to do something wrong or whether I may or not get a job and it'll make you feel a little guilty. I bring chocolate-covered pretzels to all my listing appointments. And I always say, look, I just want to say thanks for inviting me in your house. You know, these are the best chocolate-covered pretzels in the world. My family loves them. And I want to say thanks for taking the time with me. You know, I bring them a half a pound of chocolate-covered pretzels. And let me tell you, people just go crazy with it. They're just like, oh, my God, these things are the best thing in the world. I always say, you can't eat just one. So I, I kind of do little things to stay different. Um, let me give you a thought pattern real quick. I've got a ton of people in my database. I put everybody in my database. They have to opt out of it. I assume that somebody is is a prospect to me in the future. Even if you get a bad lead from somebody, which is not a bad lead, if you think there's bad leads, go watch the movie Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, number one. You get a Cadillac, number two. Snake Knives, number three, you're fired. That's how I believe real estate should be. The top agents stay, the rest of you got to go. But again, I was taught that way. So I, I believe everybody's a prospect, but you can have somebody who doesn't have money, who is a brand new buyer that can't qualify, who's got bad credit because of some issues. They were growing. They grew up. They got out of their house early. They made some mistakes. They're learning. But they can have a very wealthy family member. So I don't look sometimes to close the first person I'm meeting. I'm looking to build a relationship for all of their family behind them. So the first person is the first close, or he may not even be a close. So the person you say, I can't get a mortgage for, make them feel great still. Say, look, I'm going to stay in touch with you still because I know it's important. I know you're going to clean your credit up. But do me a favor. If you know any family or friends, let them know about me. And stay in front. Say, hey, by the way, how's your credit doing? Hey, is there anybody else you know? The more they feel important, they're going to love you more later when they can do it. Plus, they're going to tell everybody because everybody else just hung the phone up or ignored them. Okay? So I got away from being in judgment. A dear friend of ours, Howard Brand, had a great line. Get out of judgment. You know, live in curiosity. So the first person is a lead. The next people are my profit. That's how I look at it. So all are people. I put everybody in my database. But 
I also started doing things when I was very early in the business. I had to get out of it because it became an absolute monster, and I had people not be able to keep up with it. If you're, here's a hint. If you're doing 10 transactions, 20 transactions, 30 transactions in a year, you've been in the business five years. These are the number one things I'm going to tell you to do. You have to meet three new people a day give them your card and get their card. You need to send them emails. You need to get them in your database and be emailing them once a week. You also need to be sending them handwritten notes right away. Next thing you need to do is every client of yours, you should know everything about them. You need to know when you meet them, have them do a questionnaire sheet. And if you don't know this on your family, shame on you. Because you should know what your family's favorite movie is, what their favorite meal is. Each person in your office, this is your DISC stuff. Your clients, you should know what their favorite snack is, what their favorite movie is, what their birthdays are, what their anniversaries are, and you should be calling them on their birthdays. We actually went one step farther. We sent them a coupon that we had with the bakery that a month before their birthday, we sent them a card that said, happy birthday, redeem this card, and get a free birthday cake. We weren't just giving them out. As the cards got turned in at the end of the month, the baker called me and said, hey, here's your bill. You had 43 cakes come in. So I had every kid, family member, anybody that was there getting birthday cakes for free that were costing me nine, ten dollars But they had to physically go and get it and had to turn in my card and turn in the, the, the card we sent them, which the baker knew that that was an official card for me, and I got billed. But it was huge. I got more people, more business from that, which is awesome. Through the years, though, we inundated the baker. It was sometimes 70 cakes in a month, and he just couldn't handle it. And a lot of the small bakers in the area went out of business, so I kind of had to give that up. But I had a lot of people get out of the way on that. Also, on, on Valentine's Day, we sent them a coupon for a free rose. Also, um, around Easter, we sent them a coupon for a free tulip plant. They can go up to the local florist. Also, the same thing at Christmas, where poinsettia, Halloween's a pumpkin. So I use the same kind of companies, but I do different things with it. But I don't pay for it unless the people redeem, redeem the coupon. So I may send out 1,000 of them. Maybe 80, 100 people go. But guess what? Everybody knows they had the option. So I suggest you do that as a brand-new person in the business less than five years trying to get from 10 transactions, 20 transactions, to 100 transactions, trying to up your sale price do that. Get in that focus. And every person that sends you a referral, at least send them a $5, $10 Starbucks card or Dunkin' Donuts card or something like that. It says, hey, great. You know, wish I had time to have coffee with you, but I'm always thinking of you. Thanks for the referral. Boom, done. Pop it in the mail, handwritten note, and have them. I've got a stack of those cards. I mean, there are kids that I just go walk around. I put my little logo on it. I love referrals. And I see little kids. I would say, hey, look, I'm a realtor in the area. I don't know your mommy and daddy are here, but Here's a coupon to McDonald's, you know? And if you see them talking to any of the builders, you call me, and everybody laughs and yada, 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 but it's kind of fun, you know? It, it shows that you're approachable, and that's how you want to build it, but then people will start giving you information, and that's how we worked our database was giving, you know, versus taking, and, and it ultimately comes back 10 times over. Craig, you, you've talked about this concept of adding three people to your list every day. It sounds like it's pretty natural for you to go out and meet people. You've created that skill through repetition. You, you now have that down pat. What about for somebody new that's a little more nervous or not as outgoing? Where do they meet these people? What do they say when they first start talking? You know, how do they start that conversation and lead it towards real estate? Could you give us some hints there? One of the biggest things that I've learned as I've gotten older and again, you know, as I said, I've gotten older, is I have two ears and one mouth. You should use them in proportion. 
people really don't care about you. People care that you know about them. And that's important in the point that if they like red roses, don't send them tulips. That's this D-I-S-N-C. Get to know your clients. Get to know these people. So when you're talking to people, when I meet people for the first time, I introduce myself and say, hi, I'm Craig Lurch Jr. Hey, you doing? Great. You know, hey, question, you know, you live in the area? Yeah. What do you do? What are the highlights of the area you like? What you like any of the parks or what shops or restaurants you like? Because I'm always looking for a new restaurant to try, I say, you know, like, oh, this and this, you know, that's great. What are you doing business? And I try to get things out about them when I'm meeting them, especially at a cocktail party or at a social function, whatever we go with. Even, even waitresses, stewardess. I mean, they know a lot of people. They know when people are moving in. I always worry about what do they do? Well, if I was to send somebody to you in business, what would I be looking for in that client? And they're like, oh, that's weird. They're like, what, what's that mean? Well, if, if he's an orthodontist, I'm going to say, so what age group of kids are you looking for in a parent that are looking for braces? That if I run into somebody, they need an orthodontist. I can say, oh, yeah, you got to go see, you know, Dr. Mealy. You know what I'm saying? So I'm constantly trying to figure out what I can do to give them more business. And it becomes a reciprocity. If I'm giving them more business or I'm, I'm trying to figure out how, they're all of a sudden going to calculate in their head, how can I get the, them more business? So that's how I do it. I just try to meet three people a day. I, in the beginning, and, and still do today, every store I go into, I take the card of who's there and a manager, and I always send an email, hey, it was in your store today, had great service, your cashier was awesome little things like that, and they will usually reply. But again, they're used to getting complaints. They're not used to getting compliments. So every restaurant, everywhere I go, I'm picking business cards up all day, you know, meeting people and going that way. That's how I do it, and that's how I suggest to do it. You should go to the same dry cleaner. You should go to the same butcher. You should go to the same barber. You should become the same car wash guy, the same suit guy, the same ladies' clothing guy, the same manicures. These people are advocates of yours. You're paying them money for their business. You should ask them for business every time you see them. Hey, by the way, you know anybody who can use my services? You know, I come in here a lot. I've sent you a lot of clients. Who do you know? I need some love back. I'm not getting it. And I call people to the table. Look, I've, I've, I've sent you know, a lot of people to you. I call Philly style. You know what? You've got to send some love back here. I can very easily move my business and stop referring it. And I call people. I call friends on that. I've given friends a lot of business in their businesses. So you know what? I don't, I'm not getting the love back that I'm giving you. What's going on? Oh, I just forget about it. Well, stop forgetting about it. <laughs> you know, I call them to the table. And don't hide your goals. If you've got goals to sell X amount of houses, let your kids know, let your wife know, let your significant other know, let your parents know, and let them know you're, they're part of your team. Do not be a secret agent. You don't have to wear it on your shirt. We all do those things. They're all good. But the bottom line is let your, your family know that as you succeed, you're going to be able to do more for them, you know, and reward them for it. Say, hey, look, I'll take $50 for every sale you guys got. Let's put it aside and let's buy a piano. Or $50 aside for this and let's just go blow it at a game, at a pinball game place and let the kids go wild. You know, come up with those little things that feed them to be involved in your goal. And, and make it fun. Hey, did you meet, you know, first question of the day when I usually get home, hey, Daddy, you sell a house today? Well, usually the first question is my wife says, Give Daddy five minutes to unwind. Second of all, ask him if he sold a house today. You know, and that's kind of where it goes. We have the five-minute rule. It's like if I come in the house and everybody jumps on you, it's like in your office. If you come in and jump on your secretary the second you walk in, that's not fair either. You can't be a seagull in life. You can't be a seagull to your staff and the people you work with. 
All right, and understand they've got all different personalities too. That's why you need to understand that a DIS and C is there. You were saying, how can a person who's not outgoing do it? They need to learn their DIS and C. If they haven't read the book, The Platinum Rule by Tony Alessandra, shame on you. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling everybody on this tape, if you haven't read the, that book, shame on you. You need to read that book and read it today. You need to memorize it. You need to live it and work it. You need to understand that you have different roles in life. You're not born with roles. You're not born with habits. You're not born with an identity. You weren't born with bad habits. You weren't born with good habits. You learn them. And you learn them by the people around you. And how do you change them? 41 days of changing it will give you a new habit. You want to be successful, hang out with successful people. Get away from the water cooler. Do not go to the coffee room and sit around and talk to people. Do not let people interrupt you. But also understand that you have a role that when you're playing realtor and you're in the office, you're not playing mommy on the phone or daddy on the phone taking texts unless it's an emergency. I get a code from my wife. That means I'm answering. You know, that's it. I know I'm dropping on calling. Other than that, I don't take my phone in on, on listing appointments. I do not take my phone out when I'm showing buyer houses. You're rude. You're being rude. It's their time. Do not talk to other people when you're there. It's like having a date with your wife and not paying attention to her or your husband. They will not want to work with you, and they will not want to stay married to you if you're paying more attention to other people than them. All right? So be in the moment, be in the present, but understand your role while you're there. There are different personalities. There's the bottom line people, which are the Ds. You have the outgoing people, which are the Is. You have the S people that are the nurturing ones, and your Cs are the analytical. Understand that we have them all in us. We have a dominant and a non-dominant. But if you only work with those people that are that... The country's broken into 25% of each one of those pieces, the DIS and C. If you're only working with your dominant and secondary, you're losing an opportunity of 50% of your income that could double. For no extra cost, no extra time, other than you getting out of your own way and working to deal with people the way they want to work with. You know, if you're going to call a depersonality guy who's a bottom line and you're all soft and mushy saying, oh, this is a beautiful place, and I love the flowers, and you're going to love the entrance, they're never going to call you back, and they're never going to buy. If you call them and say, I found a house, it's got awesome curb appeal, you need to see this house today at 3 or 4 in your schedule, which is better, they're going to call you back. You see how the difference is? And that's how you want to handle, handle people the way they want to be done. And all of a sudden, you can 50% increase your income for no additional cost, less time, not worrying about prospecting more because people will tell you about them because they'll think you are a great listener. I love people when they say, you're the best listener. I had such a good time with you. You know why? Because you're caring about them. It's not about you. It's not that, it, you know, at, at times, I always think of the Toby Keith song. At times when I'm at home, it is about me, 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 me. But usually it's all about you, you know, and that's how it is. If it's about them, you're ahead of the game. You have plenty of time to be me behind the closed doors, not around them. When you're in a public scene, it's all about them. End of story. And you will get more referrals, more business than you can handle. Do you ever remove people from your database? And if so, why? I remove them because they die. I remove them because they did something wrong that I don't like, which happens ethically, morally, something like that. I don't really like cut them out and say anything bad. I just, you know, cut them off because I, I just don't want to be in her karma. I've realized that there are toxic people in life, you know, and you got to get rid of them. 
and you don't want to hang out with them, so sometimes you don't even want to do business with them. They just waste your time. They take a lot of time, and it's not dollar productive. I have friends that I will give real estate information to today, but I will not do their business. End of story. I do not need the verbal or abuse of it at all and things of that nature. So that's a real important thing. You need to know when to cut. You have a right. They interview you for a job just as you're interviewing them for a job. And when I go on a listing appointment, I tell everybody, I say, look, I want to let you know, first of all, I'm here interviewing for a job, but this is also a two-way streak. If I don't think this is going to be beneficial and have an 80% chance or greater of going to settlement at the end of this meeting, I may choose not to work for you all. And it's okay. You may want to come back to me later after the first road or second road or third, whatever it may be. But at least I'm leaving here as friends with you, and I'm telling you the truth, not what you want to hear, but what you need to know. And at least I did my job in my morals and my values of how I run business. I'm not going to smoke a myriad. I'm not going to tell you you don't have cancer when you have cancer. You have three ways to sell a house. One is you can ignore the reality. Two is you can do it halfway. Or three, you can get totally fully committed. And once you're fully committed, that's the kind of client I want to work with. Because if I'm wasting time with people, I'd rather be home with my wife, seeing my son's football games, my daughter's dances. I'd rather be doing that. I don't need to hang out with people that are wasting my time. And I, I learned that halfway through my career. Let me tell you something. This business is so much more fun when you fire people. And you feel good when you fire them. The next thing is how do you clean your database out is, is sometimes people move away, you know. Once we haven't heard from them in a while or we try to call them and stuff, we'll send letters for, for cleanup. Just, hey, look, we're looking to update our file. If we don't get things back, we'll move them to a different category. We'll move them over here. They may have fallen off the face of the earth. They may have died, something like that, and go from there. So that's how we kind of clean up the database. And again, it's, it's, it's fruition. It kind of cleans itself. Eight years ago, I lost my whole database because my computer died and the backup wasn't working and my hard drives weren't working. And thank God we had a backup, but it was only half of what we had. And then we found the other half somewhere else on another computer and got it filled back up again. But it was six months of pain of losing everything, an online agent that we use, which is Agent 2000 a lot of people use. So I'm going to tell you, if you don't back up and if you don't use a cloud and if you don't get the stuff off-site, you're crazy. Everything we do now is off-site. It's not even our hard drive and our backup anymore because we had a hard drive. We have a backup. We had three backups. We had a, and it still crashed. Something went, and the battery on the backup thing went, and we never knew it. My computer guy dropped the ball. And unfortunately, him dropping the ball lost him a job with us, but lost me seven months of stuff, seven months of aggravation trying to rebuild my database. So protect it. That's your money. That's your future sale of your business and your exit theory. That somebody else will be more than happy to pay your referrals on for a couple of years as you get out of the business. Where do you keep your database now? Are you using a certain program to do that? We use online agent. And I also moved a lot of my stuff to Google. We work through the Google calendar. A lot of people are working off the Microsoft Exchange stuff. But I didn't want to have the big budget. I wanted to make it user-friendly, and there's only, like I said, there's only three of us now, so it works for us. So everything goes in our online agent, but it also goes into our Google Contacts, live on the Internet, all my emails, all the calendars, my calendar, Desiree's calendar, Alex's calendar. Everybody's calendar is there. They can see where I'm at, what I'm doing. I've learned that every one of my appointments I put in there, I put in a phone number also afterwards, 
One is that if she's looking for me or she needs to confirm, Desiree will call my appointments in advance and just say, hey, just confirming, you know, you're meeting Craig, you know, at this time, or Craig's running late and things of that nature. So she can see my calendar now where before she couldn't with the, some of the things we were doing. So we went to the Google setup, and it's free. You know, under 10 people, it's free. And again, find out ways to cut costs. If you're not reviewing your costs every six months, and find a way to cut costs at least 3 to 5% every six months, you're going to put yourself out of business. You've got to re- renegotiate those contracts. Craig, let's talk about how you're staying in touch with the people in your database. What are you doing to stay in touch with them, and how frequently are you touching them? That database, like we said, we used to do mailers. We got away from that. We use constant contact. So we get everybody's email, and it goes in there. And then quarterly everybody in that database will get a postcard from us regarding updates of things. Sometimes we'll do a letter, but we find that the postcard's quicker. People look at it, we put the bullet points, and we're usually giving them something, whether it's a free flower, whether it's, it's like an onion. We're layering and constantly staying there, not so, and just asking for business and things of that nature. But the biggest thing is putting everybody, all your emails, into constant contact, and they're getting an email every week. So there's about, I think, 3,000 people to get an email. And we have a good success ratio of opening things up. I mean, we're well over um, 10%, which they say if you get 2 to 3%, that's good. We're well over 10% opening and looking through things, which is good. Their constant contact tells us we do a really good job on it because we change it weekly, and I do it. I do it myself because then I can have the conversation and, and things of that nature about it. That's how we've done it because I've wanted to cut cost. Again, it's not what you make. It's what you keep. I think you mentioned before what you have in the emails. Is that your Monday morning coffee? Is that right? Yeah, it's called Monday morning coffee. We use a template that uh, we had set up through Constant Contact. And again, Constant Contact is, is free for the first two months, I think, to try it. You can also use Monkey some. Uh, there's another one out there that's totally free. MailChimp. Yeah, it shows how technologically savvy I am. But it's, a, it's the same thing. And you can do surveys. My goal is actually I'm meeting with my... Um, my social media and computer girl that helps me with this stuff that taught me it, now I do it, on Monday. And we are going to go to trying to do a survey every six to eight weeks about things. You know, what are you looking for? You know, do do you need information on insurance? Different questions about the community and life and also at the same time about real estate. Do you think the real estate market's picking up? Boom. Do you think that the Fed should draw Things like that, we're going to try to start intriguing questions so that we can take those numbers and start showing our clients that I am dealing with saying, look, this is what a lot of people are concerned about, or that I can then start using in my social media and I can tweet out or I can Facebook out and say, hey, look, we did a poll of 3,000 of my clients. You know, 40% of them are saying they're concerned about the housing market of stability. What do you think about it? What, what are anybody's feelings? Trying to create conversations out there. And we're, we're going to get that through surveying our past clients on their feelings and their needs and then try to go to the public and just try to stir it up. We're going to try to be a stirring point that people just see. And, but every time they see it, they're seeing our name and they think about real estate. So that's one of the things that we're going to try to do different through that constant contact email while keeping costs down of no print and nothing like that. In your Monday morning coffee emails that you're sending out every Monday, what exactly are you putting in there? What are you talking about? And do you have a call to action? And what is it? 
Yeah, I mean, there's probably about six different spots in there. You know, contact Craig, click here. There are little buttons that will automatically email me, contact here and call Craig. And uh, it'll send me a text or whatever it may be. But in the top, it has our, our branding. It says Monday Morning Coffee with Craig. It has my picture, and it says, you know, each week, hey, you know, whether it's my son's football team or a local thing in the area, a, a kid doing something great, or a friend's kid doing something great, I'll always put in there, you know, my, my son plays for a, a private prep school's football team that's really good. And, hey, congratulations to LaSalle Sports for winning this. Or I'll put something in my daughter's school. Hey, congratulations, Rydell Elementary School for getting the award for, you know, best of the best for your art in the area. Congratulations to this police officer for getting accommodations for being a hero. I mean, I try to put something up top to, to say, you know, good about people. Then following that, we post a house or two that will always have a virtual tour on it. It'll have the picture slides and information with it. And sometimes it's not our listing. Sometimes it'll be ones, like I mentioned before, that I think is a good buy to, to attract attention. But a lot of people sometimes think that that's my listing, and it's not. But it's perception that, hey, you know, he's got a million-dollar house on here. He's a million-dollar lister only. It can hurt you, but then I also put on a $400,000 house. So I kind of mix it up so people see the different variety of houses on there, and it calls on it. If you want to see more pictures, click here. If you want to set an appointment at all and, and see this house, click here and, and email Craig. You know, all those buttons are there. Then we have an article about um, that says market update. I go on to Realty Times and I go, you know, things of that nature, and I put an article in there. If you want to discuss this more, click here, talk to Craig. And then I have a DIY area, which I go and I put in ideas for getting your house more green, how to get it ready for winter, how to get your gutters clean, how to put those things as a section on that. And then there's another section that up top, I always put a quote of the day and I put a trivia question. But then what I do is, right underneath the trivia question, I said, look below to see whether you've got the right answer and don't cheat. At the bottom of my thing, which may be three scrolls down, under my signature and under my picture again, it says, you know, trivia answer. And it says, did you get it right? And then there's the answer. So they got to scroll through the whole thing to get to the bottom to get the answer. And it, and it really is fun because I've got people email me, I didn't know that, you know. I didn't know, you know... Uh, a flock of geese are called a gaggle and stuff like that. Little things. I mean, I started doing it by taking the Snapple questions. You know, the, the Snapple iced teas? My kids read these things to me all the time when they opened them. So I started posting them on my Monday morning coffee. I ran out of them. So I started going to trivia questions on the Internet and putting them in there. And it's amazing the, the responses you get from people. Almost everybody clicks on that. But it makes them go to the bottom of it to see the answer. Curiosity kills them. So they've got to go through my newsletter to see the bottom. I said, how can I get them to read the whole thing? Put the answer at the bottom. So there it is. So uh, uh, as the saying goes, how to pull the rabbit out of the hat, put the rabbit in the hat first, and that's what we did. <laughs> so that's pretty much the whole layout of it. It is done in my company colors. It is done with my picture four times in there. It's done with pictures and videos that are linked in there. And again, it takes me 50 minutes to maybe an hour and 15, depending if I really get into it and start having fun. You know, oh, and I also post a new recipe of the week, but I will never post a recipe that I haven't cooked. 
So I tell everybody, you know, I've done this. My kids have liked this. I did it at a tailgate. I did this, that. I'm always going to post what it is so I can add something personal about it. So it adds a touchy-feely, but it also gives information on real estate. It gives information on the community. It gives a good feeling. It gives them an intriguement and also an inspirational thought and quote of the day. It gives them a recipe that people use the recipe mailers. It gives them information on how to fix their house that they're always going to scroll. And I put that towards the bottom because always people usually like to see that and always go to that. So they got to pass over the houses, pass over my recipes, and then they get that piece. <laughs> so there's kind of a way that I figured out how to label it through the years. So do your touchy-feely good up top. Do your trivia question. Put the property you want to market. Put something about the real estate market. Then put something about home improvement. Then put a closure yourself, and then put an answer to the trivia. And that's how I found the order works the best and has been tested. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV. Real Estate Agent Lead Generation Television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Craig, do you contact your database any other way? We've got, you mail the postcards about six times a year or so. You have these emails going out weekly. Are you making phone calls? And if so, how often? I do not have a set time that I call. I randomly will just pull the list and call. I am really big at, when I'm in the car on my headset, I just start dialing people. I call it dialing for dollars. Um, People call it hour of power. I don't have a specific time to do it. I just do it and I'm doing it all the time. If I have a minute to call, I'm just going to call somebody. I'll drive by a house I sold, and I was thinking about it, and I'll just call them and say, hey, hey, John, I was thinking about that house I rented to you. You know, you're a military transfer in. It's been about two years. You're probably getting ready to transfer it out, or you're going to stay. If you're staying, do you want to buy? If you're transferring out, don't forget to let me know, you know, because I can get the next guy to go into that property, you know, just as you're leaving. So little things like that I, I, I try to do. And I, I just call people all the time about their business. Hey, by the way, I just drove by your shop. Hope you guys are having a bang up. You know, I see you have a sale going on. Hope your sale is doing well. You know, always kind of leaving something positive. And hey, by the way, some great opportunities out there to make investments if you're looking um, and things of that nature. So that's kind of what I do on a constant basis. Just out of habit. Do you have any kind of past client parties or events? My, <laughs> my wife calls my life a past party. Um, she says, I, <laughs> uh, my kids, I think we probably have people at our house three times a week, at least every Eagles game and every high school game that my son has, we kind of host the tailgates. So even to the point that we have stuff that has our name on it and the event that we're at, like, it'll be, you know, my son's South college high school football team. And then I'll have Lurch and associates on, on napkins. So it's done in the team colors, but it has my name on it. <laughs> so I've figured out if I'm going to be there, I might as well mark it too. So instead of having big parties and things like that, I have groups of things. Like if I've sold four people a house in a neighborhood, I'll volunteer to host a cocktail party at one of their houses and come for an hour or two, but let them meet everybody who's in that neighborhood over the past two years or the past year. Like one neighborhood, I have five new people move within four blocks of each other, all with the same demographic of kids. And I hosted a uh, pizza and uh, ice cream and water ice for the kids and everybody for an hour and a half. But they all didn't know each other. Now they all know each other. There's five new people in the neighborhood that they all know. And it was held in one of the houses. And I was there, and I was the common denominator. So I do things like that. 
you know, other than that, I try to have lunch or breakfast with people all the time. Or if they want to do it a different way, I do it a different way. But, yes, I'm constantly doing something, whether it's not anything formal, but you need to be doing something. You should be having lunch with somebody a couple times a week or breakfast with somebody a couple times a week. Past clients, because if you can't get the whole group together, at least you get the people that you think are, are your dollar productive. I've also learned through the years that 80% of my business comes from 20% of my clients. And I've defined those top 20% of the people as my advocate. So you probably have 100 people out there that I really, 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 really work hard and I love and I adore. And I will do anything for them because they're really on my advocate list of sending me business or doing business with me in, in, a, in a lot of dollar exchanges. So that's how I look at it. Every client is probably worth, I think I did the calculation, it was a couple of years, it's worth about $153,000 to me in 10 years. So if you do one sale with them, and let's say they buy every five years or seven years, that's another sale. And if they refer two people to you a year, and you work that number out, it comes out to $153,000 at average sale price of 200000 I believe that the number was. And that's what I keep thinking. Every client is not worth just that commission. They're worth, in the next 10 years, 153000 So if I had 35 families that are happy now, I can multiply that number over 10 years. And that's what I should be making in money off these people. Or have accumulated money, too. That's how I look at things now. I look at, as a trickle down, I said, okay, each person is like a, like a multi-level business to me free and I'm not doing anything wrong but the more people I have in their family I deal with the more and they're all warm leads the more income I can make and the less money I have to spend and the less prospecting I have to spend because they're now prospecting me versus me prospecting them and that's the goal to become prospected first having to be prospecting back in the beginning you mentioned you're also doing geographic farming could you tell us where is your geographic farm? How big is it? What's it consist of? Why do you pick it? Tell us about your geographic farm. You want to pick a niche, no matter what it is, in life and follow it. My friend Alan Baum in the city of Philadelphia, he only does condominiums. He doesn't change. But he's been doing it 30 years. He knows every unit, every owner. He knows it like the back of his hand. When I first got into business, I picked an area of 500 homes, which were row homes. Nobody got any business in that neighborhood when I was doing this. And then my market changed and I moved out of that area. But I controlled that marketplace 90%. In that area, we put flags on our property every 4th of July. We would host an ice cream truck that went up and down the street with the kids a couple times in the summer. We would sponsor baseball teams in the area. We would give t-shirts out to all the kids. Things of that nature that we would did in that geographic farm. My present geographic farm is where I live. I moved into it. I figured the demographic out. I figured the average sale price. I figured out where these guys live. So my farming is done physically and face-to-face in that I help my neighbors do everything. If it snows, and I know they've got snow, I, I like to do the snow in my driveway because I light a cigar, go out there, have fun, and play in the snow like a kid with my big snowblower when everybody else is just waiting. To do. And I'll go out and do guys' walkways, whatever, maybe. I just like being out in the snow. But I, and I know they have guys that will plow it, or I know somebody needs something. I go out of my way in, in working the geographic farm and helping people, especially older people in the neighborhood. I'll make sure my sons go up and blow their driveways off for nothing for free, and they're not allowed to accept money. So we do you know, things for kindness for older people in the neighborhood, which helps coming back because they, they tell their kids, and their kids remember it, and we'll get business that way. We also became members of the same places that they are, 
whether it's the private school, whether it's the country club, whatever it may be. So that's kind of where we've also done the geographic farm. You want to kind of stay where they're at. But every time I sell a house over $300,000, whether it's in that 300 home pocket or not, they get a postcard that says Craig did it again, boom, done. Has a picture of the house and things of that nature. I don't put a sale price because I want them to call me and ask me. And I also don't want people's privacy saying, what are you doing publicizing what I paid for my house? No, 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 no. But what I also did when I first started it is we also do a neighborhood update. And I will put this home just sold in a neighborhood. I didn't say I did it. I put this home just sold in a neighborhood, and I would put the house of somebody else out there and send it. They don't live in a neighborhood. They're not sending just sold cards. So I, I did it. 90% of the agents don't do them anymore. So you want to build a farm area. Every time something sells in that market, you can just market. Market update, just sold. And then you can put at the bottom, you know, sold by another broker in the area. I'm only giving you the information. You know, you can do that as long as you disclose it, right? It's not bad marketing. It's just giving a market update, correct? And that's kind of what we did. But that's kind of what we do still is we keep the neighborhood up to date, whether it's us or somebody else in the community events, the 5K runs, and the homes they're selling, and things of that nature. That's how we do it, and through a postcard or through a letter. How big is your current farm? 278 people. How much business are you getting out of that each year? We started with zero percentage, and now we're controlling over 50% out of that marketplace, of that whole, that whole market. We control probably 50 to 60% in that 278 homes. Whether it's having a buyer bought it or sell it, we've had a lot more buyers buying in those homes. And what happens is ultimately, as somebody else may have a listing, I put the buyer in there, now that's going to be my future sale, or that person's my advocate now in the neighborhood. So I probably have the most new implanted advocates in the 278 homes in that marketplace. I don't know if that answers the question, but I look at it as sellers and buyers. But the second I plant my buyer in there, that's another sprout of a seed that's blown up in my neighborhood for me. That's how I look at it. What kind of turnover? How many homes are selling in that neighborhood each year? Anywhere between 12 to $20 million worth of business. So you look at it as a volume. I've got two of the highest houses that were in there, one at 1.1 and one at 2.55. You know, at one point I had the 2.3, 2.5. I had the 1.6. I had the four highest houses in that neighborhood. I think I still do have them as the highest sales ever in the past four years in those neighborhoods. Two of them I did in one year, but there was only eight sales in that neighborhood, but I had two others. So I controlled 50% of the marketplace, but I controlled 80% of the volume. So when I look at that pocket, I look at it as volume, not so much units, because there may not be a lot of units, but there is volume. So this is a, it's a small number of properties, but they're really high priced. So you're making it up in volume. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the highest end real estate in the market niche and where I live. It is the last place that most people will move to. The demographic, I call it, is 38 to 58 years old with uh, two and a half kids. Usually a, a young one is very short, meaning that they're young and they may not or may not even be in school yet. The new demographic, the last five houses in there that have sold, I've sold three of them. And the demographic is late 30s, first child less than six months, or three children under the age of four, and both are late late 30s and are just getting out of doctorate school or doctors or things of that nature, or self-employed business people and stuff like that. That's pretty much the animal. 
those are the last three people that have bought in that neighborhood in that sale price out of the past five. And the other two that bought are the same demographic from out of the area of a reload coming in. So it's an area that is, is, is strong, and I fit the demographic in that 50% of people have kids, once they get to high school, go to private school. But before that point, they send them to the local elementary school. All my kids went through the elementary school. My daughter's still in the elementary school. I'm still the age group of everybody in there. And the age group in there is also where their parents live. And as their parents die, they're not going to deal with their parents' realtor. They're going to deal with their realtor, who is me. So I've set myself up for the next level of sales by being friends and acquaintances with the people that are my age that will be controlling the estates of the people that will be selling those homes when the time comes and when it's left to them. So I strategically placed this out 10 years and figured, how am I going to get into this business in this area and control it? And that's what I've done. I positioned myself. One is to be the demographic, be part of it, be involved in it, and set myself up that when older people have to sell that I don't have a relationship with, at least the younger people know me, which I'm the demographic. It's creating a niche. It's creating a business plan. How long have you been working that farm? I moved in that house nine years ago. It was a neighborhood I always wanted to move into. To be honest with you, I never thought I could move into it. My wife needed a hip replacement at 40 years old. We had a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and she needed a hip replacement at that age. And uh, we were getting ready to add, add an addition on a home that was in the middle, middle range price in the neighborhood, which is you know, a nice home. It was a $400,000 home. And we were adding an addition onto it, and she came home to me all upset because we were supposed to break ground the next day, and she was crying. I said, what are you crying for? She goes, um, i got to move to a rancher to help my hips for life later on, and I know you want to add this addition on. I know you've been working on it for a year, and we're supposed to start it tomorrow, but we got to move, and we got to move to a rancher. I said, fine, done. And she said, you took that fairly easily. I said, I took it easily because the option is either I stay here and you go, and I'm not going anywhere without you. So as far as I'm concerned, we're in bricks. I said, but there's only one neighborhood I'm going to want to move to, and let me see if there's something there. And we saw it, and it was the first house we saw. We bought it, and I looked at her, and I said, this is way out of my league. She goes, if you want to be the league, you've got to live in the league. So you choose. You've always said you wanted to sell this marketplace, but how can you sell something that you don't live and understand it? I said, you're right. So I bit the bullet and bought the house and never regretted it since. It was way over my head, but made it work. It gives you have to. When Alan Dom invited me into his office in the first three weeks when I was talking about it, he goes, first of all, he goes, uh, how many suits do you have? I said, I've got two. He goes, good, go buy eight more. He goes, what kind of car do you drive? I told him. He goes, good, go buy a new one and go buy this. He goes, and then do you have an assistant? I said, no. He goes, then I guess you are your own assistant. Um, <laughs> so I went out that day, and I bought a new car. I bought, I went, went and bought a BMW and bought eight suits and all this stuff. And I didn't have the money. I just used a credit card. It was great. And I went and told my dad it was actually the broker of the business. And he said, that's great. Your problem is you're not getting paid for 60 days. And how are you going to pay for this when all the bills come in in the next 30 to 60? He said, you better go sell some real estate. So you want to light a fire under yourself? Get a half to. <laughs> and that's, all, that's how you're going to sell real estate is getting a half to. And that's kind of what happened in this marketplace where I moved into. I said, I'm not living in a marketplace that I'm not going to control and look at everybody else's sign and let everybody else talk about. So I put myself in that position. And in my old neighborhood, I still control that neighborhood because of so much I sold in that area too. So it does work. You better know your neighborhood better than anybody else. Craig, you've mentioned your, your team a couple times. Let's dive into that. Could you tell us, you saw, I think you said you have a three-person team, yourself and two other people. Could you tell us what the two other people are doing? I have Desiree, 
who pretty much does everything in the life of charts. I have my wife. I have my mother-in-law. I have Desiree. I have my daughter. I mean, I'm run by all women in my life, which is great because I, I'm housebroken now. I learned to listen, and they're really good at what they do. But Desiree pretty much runs everything I do. I come in and start it all up, and she calms everybody down. Everything from answering the phone initially to processing my files, putting myself in a multiple listing, setting my appointments, canceling my appointments, breaking bad news to people if I'm not here. She's licensed, so she can go on appointments if I'm double booked or if I'm off. She can go on appointments. She'll go to settlement. She'll do different things of that nature so she knows it. She's licensed, and we work out great that way. And then I have Alex, who does all my computer stuff which tells me how to do Facebook, how to do my constant contact. Are we up in Facebook, you know, likes? Are we down in it? What's going on here? If I'm looking to do some, I guess, the videos with pictures, she'll use Animato for that on top of our OBO. The Animato's quicker, and it's free. You can put it together, put the video, add some music, and it's easier to post. So we'll post all our videos on Facebook on our listings and also send them out, tweet them out, and things of that nature. So... She does mainly that. She works from home. She is outsourced. She's, she's like a virtual person outside the house, and she gets paid a flat fee a month, and she does X amount of hours. But she actually taught me how to use my iPad better, how to use my Evernote, how to use those things. And when I have issues, she comes and helps me with those things on my, on my computer and technology, personal call. But Desiree pretty much runs my world. Other than that, I mean, honestly, I don't, we're not open on the weekends anymore. We're not open at night. It's by appointment only. If you want to get to me, you can call my cell. And if you want to set an appointment on the weekend, you better be buying or you better be selling or I'm not coming out. I let people know that. If you're not buying today, you're not getting in my car on a weekend. Because <laughs> I just, I, you know, I've, I've come to the conclusion that I'm not going to be a Pop-Tart and I'm not going to have people just run me to run me. Being on that rat race is no fun. I've been there, done that. I've had the lowest times in my life three years ago when you paid all your staff. I had 27 people at one point. I had six employees. I had three offices. I had 12,000 square feet of space. And then the market took a tank five years ago, started. And I was stuck in leases paying eight, 9000 a month. And I wasn't taking money home to pay my, pay my family stuff because I had to take care of these leases or pay salaries on these six employees. But I made a deal. I was a CEO, and I went down with. I had to go down with a ship. I never went down, but I'll tell you, there was days that I was real close of getting, you know, a utility here and there binged. And guess what? It makes you a better person. You know, it, it does make you look at utilities. It makes you humble. Make sure you check your own ego at the door. That, you, that, that there's that there's nothing bigger than the big guy above you, and he can zap you at any point. And you'll never know it. But that you know, you can have a big team, and if you're not making money, it's no good. It's not worth the stress in your life. Just like having clients that are poisonous and toxic, um, there are times you take short sales, and all they do is cost you time and money. We don't do a lot of them because they don't close. 90% of the ones I wrote don't close. So for 10%, it's not worth the energy to do it. I might as well go spend it with other clients and take them on. I don't want them. I don't do for sale by owners. I don't do expires. Those people eat their young. They're like lions. They're miserable. The saying goes, you want to be the first son, second wife, third realtor. I'm going to be the third realtor being referred in. But I mean, and I tell clients, I said, look, you're not ready for me yet. I'm not the third realtor. I'm your first realtor. You're going to beat them up, and by the next year, when you have to sell it, when you're really focused, call me because you'll be ready for me. But other than that, I understand the odds are 33% of the time you're going to sell it, and it's going to work out, and, it's going to, and I'm going to lose it. But you've got to be willing to lose it to gain it. 
The more you give up of things that are wasting your time, the more you're going to get back in good karma and good referrals and good clients by giving them the love that they've asked for. First, using the people that are squeaking your wheel and ignoring the people that really care about you. Like I said, if you leave that door cracked open, somebody else will be more than happy to take you. Take your business, take your wife, take your kids, take your family. Do not leave that door open. Craig, you, you've mentioned you have these two team members. What are you doing on the team? It sounds like you're doing all of the listings and all the sales. Is that correct? That's what I'm good at. I deal with buyers, sellers, and negotiate contracts. I love selling houses. I, I don't like sitting behind a desk. Right now, I'm actually spinning around in my chair because I'm sitting behind my desk talking with you. I don't sit still. I swear to you, I mean, I mean I'm having fun. I mean, I, I got a ball thrown up in the air. I got everything going here, you know? Um, but I don't make money behind, you don't make money behind a desk. I'm a deal maker. I was a broker. I sat up there saying, oh, I'm going to sit in the ivory tower. Everybody's going to make me money. Well, guess what? People don't work the way I work. People don't handle my clients the way I want them to handle. People don't follow through. They all want the cream. They don't want the milk. And through the years, I've decided that I don't want that headache. I don't want to be the bro. I want to be the person they deal with. I want to be that connecting thing. But I have somebody to back me up, Desiree, when I do take off. When I take off, I shut my phone off other than for an hour. I call in the office from 1.30 to 2.30. I'll make my calls, and I shut it back off. My friends can't even get to me on my phone. I can't get texts. I can't get anything because I turn it off. I have one hour a day, and I let them all know that. If it's important enough, somebody will call my wife's phone to get to me. If it's a friend looking for us when we're on vacation, they'll call my wife's phone. All right? My house phone is unregistered. I mean, it's not published. You can't call my house. It's not happening. My job is to deal with the people. That's what I love. I didn't like what I was doing before. I didn't like sitting in the office and everybody else was out in the street and I was shuffling paper and all I was dealing with is problems. So what I do, I eliminated the problems, eliminated the clients that gave me the problems, found out how to be happier doing it, found out how to be happily more productive by doing less business, making more money, having more time for my clients, myself, and my family, and enjoy it now. Yeah, is it stressful? Hell yeah. Federal government's driving us crazy. They change rules like we change our underwear. We're never going to guess it. Guess what? Figure it out. Don't blame. Figure it out. That's all. Learn how to be a chameleon. Go out there and every day and do it. If you're not having fun doing it, get out. If you're not happy, get out of this business. If you're not happy in a relationship, get out. I learned that from my mom at 44 years old when she passed away. When she passed away, she said to me, and I actually have a whole seminar thing I'm starting over. It's called Project Flamingo. It talks about the story of my mom. And when she was dying in the past month, I went over to her house. She lived in a beautiful home in a high-end neighborhood, and she was remarried at that point. And uh, I drove up one day, and there were pink flamingos in her front yard. Well, trust me, this is not a pink flamingo neighborhood. Trust me, this is not a pink flamingo neighborhood. So I came in. I said, what are you doing? What are you, crazy? She goes, no, I'm not. I said, what's going on? She goes, I love pink flamingos. And the flamingos that are out there are things to remind people of when I'm gone. I'm not telling people I'm dying, but if people ask me, why are flamingos your front lawn? I'll say, be honest with you, I'll probably be passed away in the next 30 days. But I want you to remember that the moments in life are pink flamingos. Those are the moments. They're the ahas, the time with your family, your friends, you're meeting your successes, meeting your bills, your time off. They're the, they're the things that really get you, the moments in life that are there. They're the pink flamingos. Your goal in life should be to have as many flamingos you can on your lawn when you die. 
and put as many flamingos on other people's lawn as you can while doing things for people. Because when I die and this house gets sold, these flamingos will be gone. But you'll still be living in your house, and when you drive by my house, you're going to remember the flamingos in my front yard, even though they're not there. That was very, very strong. And that's how I look at my business. If they are not having fun in it, and if it's not a flamingo for me today, I will walk out of the office. If I'm in a bad space, I'll cancel appointments. It's not fair to people. I'll go out and go beat myself up walking around a track, running around a track, go ride a butt, do something to get out of that mode. It's not fair. You, got, you can't treat people when you're having a bad mood. Take five minutes and be in a bad mood. Have a pity party in the corner by yourself for five minutes, but get over it. There are people dying. There are people in their last breath. You're just dealing with real estate. This isn't life and death. This isn't somebody dying on a table. There's no blood. Supposedly, there's supposedly no blood. But there is sometimes. Um, but the bottom line comes down is, figure it out. If it doesn't work, it's okay. Some will, some won't, so what? Next. And that's how I did it with my clients. So that's what I like to do. I like to, every day is different. I like to solve the problems. I like to work the problems. I like to work the happiness. I love the hugs. I love the tears. And I love helping people. I live with my heart on my sleeve. I shame on you if you burn on me. I'm not going to let you get me twice. But I can tell you that I'm going to live in total openness until you get me. And that's how I deal with my business. And that, it makes it fun. Every day is a challenge. Every day, every day is, you know, my in-laws stayed with us for four months and my mother-in-law broke her ankle. My father-in-law was like, so what do you got planned today? I said, I have no damn idea, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to have fun. <laughs> he goes, you're nuts. <laughs> I said, I have no idea. I'm going into the office. I was in golf shirts. You know, I had, I, you know, I had my loafers on. And, golf, and it's 90, 100 degrees, 100% humidity here in Philly. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm selling a house today. I don't know who to do yet, but I'm going to sell a house. And I came home, and he said, did you sell that house? I said, hell yeah, I sold two. It's a mindset. You've modified your business model pretty radically over the years. And so I'm sure there's a lot of people out there looking at your, your new structure, and they're asking a question I want to ask you. Are you profitable? Yes. I have never had a bottom line as well as I had. I have never had so much freedom that I have. Was it stressful going through the turn in the market? Absolutely. I cut expenses 66%. I negotiated with landscapers. My, I cut things all over the place. But in the past two years, and the market has just been picking up, and we've just been getting out of it. But let me tell you something. Is it stressful? Yes. But is it becoming profitable more than it ever was? Yes, in more than one way. And it's not just about money. It's also in life. And yes, it's been monetary. It's been in wealth building. And it has been in personal time, too. I also changed something in those years of, of bad markets. It was a great opportunity to buy. And unfortunately, I didn't have the money to buy. So what did I do? I started putting deals together. And I started grabbing guys that did have money. And I got myself cut into the deals at 10%, 15%, 30%, however I did it, for each given deal. And I volunteered to manage the building for five, seven years, whatever it may be, for free to cover it. And I also got a piece of the action on the deal. So we may have bought in a million dollar, a million three apartment building. I turned my commission back in to the deal, my share. The company still kept its, its share. So I invested it. Yeah, did I need that money to pay other bills and could I have found things? I said, yeah, but I'm not going to. I forced myself to live off the other money or the little bit of savings that was there to turn these things back in. But 
the value went up of an excess of $700,000. Now, we've actually had offers on the buildings. They weren't even on the market. People came to us and solicited us. I'm getting both sides of the commission going out. Plus, I'm also getting 20% of the profit. And all I did was turn my initial commission in. So now I've got five commissions coming back to me, and I've got 20% of the action because I decided how am I going to get into these deals and make other and get other guys into the deals that may not have all the money, but say two guys have 150000 They put up the 300 We bought a 1.3. These guys didn't want to touch it, so I got paid to touch it. Made them money. Made them double their money in two years. I made my money. Everybody's happy. Now we're parlaying it into something else. So I got out of the judgment and the curiosity. I said, how can I do it? And I started creating investments for guys and cutting myself into the deal if they wanted the deal. So that's something else that I've been focusing on too. And that's created great wealth for later on because now we have, I went from having 10 units three years ago to well over 50 rental units now and making other people money. So now their friends are coming to me saying, hey, can you put together a deal like this for us? And we're using people's some of them are self-directed IRAs that you can use, you know, you can use those to invest. They're not managing. They can take that IRA money at the first till their later investment. So they go through an exchange. They put it through a third party, put them as a limited partner in the deal. They don't have to worry about the mortgage financing. They may have a hiccup on their credit. They may not want to do it, but they have 100000 They want to get into the deal. So I'll put 10 guys at 100000 together by a million-dollar building. They're getting a 7% return on their money. You're getting paid an 8% management fee, plus you got the commission coming in, plus you got the commission going out, plus you got 20% of the action. Where are you going wrong? Everybody's winning. You said you're now profitable in your brokerage side of the business and everything is going well there. If people were looking at your model, could you give them a little help on trying to plan out their model and let us know what is your profit, your net profit as a percentage of your revenues? Most real estate companies function at 2 to 8%. That's the national average among the franchises is 2 to 8% that they can make at the end of the year. I'm well into that 25% that is being reinvested back out into investments. So 25% is pretty much where we step. Now remember something, I don't pay myself a salary. This is how I run my company. I have myself, my brothers in the company, that's right. Whatever I sell, X percentage goes into the hole. So I run my company off of 32% of our volume. I get paid just like I did a sale. Alan Dom taught me that very early. You need to run your company not off of your sales, but off of you paying. If you had a top producer producing and you paid them a salary and you paid them commission, what would be your commission? I work off the number of 68%. I take home 68% of every commission of every house I sell. I leave 32% at the run the company. So I get paid and the money leaves. So if the company isn't making money, I got to figure out how to lay people off or or how to create profit by having it excess by not doing it. And I get a bonus at the end of the year as a partner of the company, as an owner of the company. Okay, so that's kind of how I did it. So I used to leave all the money in there and just take a salary, and that's not really the way to do it. You want to pay yourself first, just like you or anybody, just like anybody else was doing the sales, and then run your company off of the rest of your expenses you're leaving in the company. And if you can't, you need to go up and out, up your own sales, don't you? <laughs> You can't fund the company if you're not funding it. So you're the top salesperson. 
you've got to fund the company. You've got to go out and make more sales for the company so it can fund it. First, putting the money back in and constantly just carrying a weak link. And that was the problem. A lot of us are afraid to cut the weak link. We have our ego in the way. We have all those things. You need to run on a budget and stay in the budget. So when a commission comes in, you take 68% off the top, write a check out to you as the salesperson. 32% stays in the company to run the operation. I take 4% off for automatic capital reinvestment in technology of hard, hard stuff. And that goes into a separate account. Then I take 68% of that that comes to me, 32% stays with the house. So 90, 96% gets split, 68-32. Most franchises take money for recapitalization, so I did the same thing. When, even when I had 27 agents working for me, we took 4% off, put it aside, and that was so I could buy the new copier every year. I could have the best of the best. I have 24-inch high-definition LED flat screens in my office uh, on the computers. I've got 42-inch flat screens three places in my office. My computer also works on the 42-inch in my office on the wall. So, I mean, I do technology stuff, and that money's there. It's in there. It's budgeted. So you can't say, oh, I don't have the money for that piece. No, 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 no. It's there. Write the check and do it. I need a new phone system. I need a new voice. I need this. I need, no, it's there. You make sure it's there and you don't touch it. That's your capital reinvestment for hard stuff you need in the office. You need paint. You need new carpet. You can't leave a place get stale. Every three or four years, you should be refreshing the place. So you're taking 4% off the top for recapitalization. The money that's left over, you split 68% to the salesperson, in this case you, when you make a sale. 32% goes into the operation. And then through the operation of that 32%, you're only using 75% of that money, and 25% of that money is coming out the bottom as an additional profit each year when you manage your operation properly. Is that correct? Correct. Wow, that's great. And how did I do that? I didn't vary. I got lucky. I have a brother who's, who runs the books, who runs the company books, and he does not vary. I wished I learned what he learned as my younger brother earlier because I had money. Whatever was in my pocket got spent when I was younger, and I didn't learn that until a good 12 years ago, 13, 14 years ago. But I kept spending it on the business, and you can't. You can always say there's a rainy day, but when that rainy day hits, you better be ready. And we all learned that five, six, seven years ago. We learned it three, four years ago. We're finally starting to get out of that. 75% of this world out there has some credit blemish. And I'd say 90% of the realtors have them. And if they don't admit it, they're lying. I understand it. I've been there. I've had hiccups. I've had it. Had the blemishes on the credit. You build it back. You get it going. You can still get your financing. You can still do it. But you're not the top of the cream that you used to be that agitates you. But guess what? You weathered the storm. You stayed in the business. You didn't lose it. And a lot of people did. And that's where you got to be ready. you got to be ready for that weathering and, and, and be ready for the fight. Because you know? we all say, oh, God, if I knew what I knew last time, I would never have done it again. Guess what? I learned. I saw it coming. And I'm never going back to that stressful point ever, ever, ever again. So that's why I'm very conscious on what I'm doing with the investments. I'm very conscious on what I'm spending on my company dollar. I had 8,000 square feet. My whole company is in 1,800 square feet now. Guess what? And it feels great. Jab it under control. Oh, my goodness. It feels good. It's all wireless. It's awesome. You know, bigger isn't better. Bigger isn't better. You know, better is better. And that's what, you know, you, gotta, you really got to look at in, in the business. 
So yeah, you've got to make those investments. You've got to be investing in yourself. Make sure you're paying yourself first. Pay yourself first and then have your you know, expenses. You've got to have your family. You've got to have all those things. So you've got to pay yourself first. And that's what Alan taught me. That's what a lot of people taught me. So take it out of the company and then go from there. And get a good account. And if you don't use QuickBooks and run it like a business and look at your profit and loss every month or every two months, shame on you. It can get out of control. And I also have a philosophy. If a vendor doesn't bill me, I had a guy, a landscaper, just billed me for eight months of landscaping. I said, dude, you're getting paid for three of it. He's like, why? I said, I close my books every quarter. And after that quarter's closed, I don't pay out of it again. I'm sorry. He goes, well, I was busy. I said, you're busy. is not my problem. Did it hurt him? Yeah. He lost 1500 bucks. Did I want to do it to him? No. Will I find another landscaper if he quits? Yeah. Did he quit? No. Did my bills show up when they're supposed to show up now? Yes. People do it to me, so I've got to, I went back to doing that. You've got to watch your budget. You can't borrow from other quarters to pay for that present quarter. So watch your bills and make sure they're all paid. What drives you? I'm very loyal. I'm very driven, and I'm very focused. The challenges are my also my biggest shortfalls. Your best attributes are usually your worst enemies in your life. But what drives me is 26, 27 years ago, when my mom was 44, and I promised her that I would do well for her, for my family, and my friends. I will never vary, ever, from that. I will go out fighting to the end, doing the best, no matter what it is, not to let her down. Every day, I get out of bed and think of that. And every day, I know I have to make a profound impact in this world. I have to live my mission statement which is to experience the best that life has to offer and exhaust it to the max. Because you can't take anything here with you. Everything here is a lease. And it's all about how many flamingos are you leaving on your front lawn and how many flamingos are you giving. And that's what drives me every day. I need to come home and look my kids and my wife in the face and say, I gave it my best today. I gave it 150%. I didn't quit. Quitting's easy. Quitting's second place. Don't be somebody else's best. Don't be the best in your office. Just be your best. And if you go out every day and be your best, whether you're feeling sick but you still gave it your best and you, gave, you only got half of what you wanted to done but you gave your best because you were feeling ill or you're fighting cancer or you're fighting financials, give it your best for the day and you can hold your head high. That's what drives me every day. I hate people quitting. I hate people making mistakes. And I don't like the word hate. But I hate it when people cop out. That means you gave up. You gave up on life. You gave up on yourself. That drives me crazy. Don't give up till you have your last breath. I fight deals until it's dead. I've got a settlement in 45 minutes from now. The seller was $8,000 short. What am I doing? I know that the seller can't find the money. I know the seller has a mortgage payment of 1700 a month. I know the other agent. I know the buyer needs this house. We've exhausted everything to do it to find this lady the money. I'm lending her my commission back, which is 5200 bucks. 
I convinced the other agent to lend her 3000 back of hers. I personally will sign a note in an hour and a half now for a client to make sure she will pay him the $3,000. This woman's going to pay me. But I didn't let the deal die, and I'm not going to let this woman, because if this house goes back on the market, it's going to be a bigger mistake. I'm not going to give up the deal. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to put my neck out. I'm going to walk out today and say, I may not be paid today, but I will be paid within three months. But I know one thing. I did my best. If you're going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? I would say, agent, go look in the mirror. Do you like what you see? And what do you see 20 years from now? What do you see 20 years from now? What do you look like 20 years from now doing this business? Where do you live? What are you driving? What are you doing? How's your family? How's your financials? And I want you to write it down. Then I want you to sit down and figure out how many houses you need to sell to do it. Then break it down to the ridiculous of, okay, I need so many houses sold a month. You need to break that down. That's how, that's how I would do it. You've got to set a plan out of where you want to be in 20 years. And look yourself in the face and say, can I do this? And if you can do it, do it. Don't play realtor. Be realtor. If you spend 40 hours a week selling real estate, belly to belly, buyers, sellers, and negotiating contracts, you will have more than enough money in any lifestyle that you want. Problem is, people let people distract other people because they don't want to eat their vegetables. People want to eat their dessert all the time. And I told my agents, and I told them one. That's why I got rid of a lot of them. I got rid of them all. You guys just want to eat dessert. You got to be willing to eat your vegetables before you get your dessert. Go in and do the things that most realtors don't want to do, which is ask people for business. Whether it's prospecting, ask however you're going to prospect, cold calling, asking family, family relatives, going to businesses in the area, calling FISBOs, expires, whatever it is, you got to be doing something. Sitting behind a desk and waiting for the phone to ring and working floor time is not going to make you rich. If you're still sitting opportunity in floor time, you're not doing a job. You're an answering machine. That's all you are. You're doing enough business. You shouldn't even be on floor time. You shouldn't be on opportunity time. That's when you know you're running your own business, when you're not sitting there answering phones, taking leads from the company. People do that. Get off of that and go out and make it. You'll get better leads. And that's what I told my people all the time. The longer you're sitting here, answering phones or getting leads off the floor, the longer you're going to be sitting here putting yourself out of business. That's what I would tell them to do. Constantly look for business, get out there, set a game plan, and show where you want to be 20 years from now, and then break it down to five years, 10 years, 15, then break it down year one, year two, year three, year four, then break it down six months, and then do those things. And put rewards at the end of it. Say you, I want to go for a full weekend spa, or you want to take your significant other to Vegas, or something like that. But if you meet the goal in the first year, you show that. Put a picture of that. Show your significant other. Show your family, your friend, whatever you want to do. Maybe you want that new watch. You want a new tag. You want a new Mavado. You want a new Seiko. You want a new system. I don't care what it is. It could be as much as going and buying yourself some chocolate-covered pretzels. It could be collecting wine. It could be whatever you want. It could be getting a manicure as a guy and getting out of your own judgment that this isn't for me, but doing it anyway and making yourself uncomfortable. That's why life's uncomfortable. Business is uncomfortable. Go do something uncomfortable. Now you'll know what it means to prospect. It's not any more comfortable getting a manicure pedicure as a guy. Trust me. I did it once. Get out there. Get uncomfortable, but go make business. That's what the bottom line is to new people. I think that's the answer that I just gave you. Get out and don't listen to other people. Don't take no. 
set a game plan, and follow it every day. And make sure you schedule time off. They're not looking at your calendar. You should not be working seven days a week. The average realtor takes three weeks off a year. The average employee in this country gets 136 days off a year. Hello? Find out how to put them days in, mark them off in an X, and you don't work those afternoons, you don't work those days, you don't work those nights. They don't know your schedule. Just say, I've got appointments. They don't see your schedule. Don't let them come into that space. All right? And set up a game plan of how you're going to work your week and go for it. That's what I would do. And that's exactly what I still do. I look in the mirror. Craig, do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? I think they are priceless. I think they're absolutely priceless. First of all, you don't pay any of us to do this. The reason we are doing this is because you've got to give the get. And also, we want to share what other people have shared with us and have taken time, and we're paying forward to it. And also, at the same time, if you're not listening to these things to you, you're in your own world. You're living within your 30-mile radius. You've got to see what's going on outside the world. Get out of the bubble. Listen to what these guys are doing. Listen to what, you know, Nancy Jenkins and Listen to what these guys are doing in New York City. And then tweak it for your market. Tweak it. Figure out how to make it work. Make it a niche. Try to figure that niche out. You may not be the biggest player, but figure the niche out. I was telling you a story earlier. My son plays football. He's a long snapper. He's only six foot. He should not be playing D1 football. We're going to be playing D1 football. Everybody on the line is six four to six nine. They're 280 to 325 pounds. He's 200 to 210 pounds. Guess what? He found a niche. He became a long snapper. He's a lineman, but he found a niche. He couldn't have made it any other way, but he found a niche, and that's one of the things. Find a niche. He found a niche. How to succeed and what he wanted to do. He knew that was the only way to do it, and I've always told him, find a niche in life. He did it. I did it finding my geographic market and becoming a boutique. Alan Dom did it finding condominiums. Jack Cotton did it sitting up outside of Cape Cod there in Oyster Bay selling million-dollar houses to the Rockefellers. You know, you got Nancy Jenkins out there. You got all these guys all over, you know, all over the country. You know, Patrick Lilly that sells the million-dollar, you know, condos in downtown New York. They found a niche, and they do very well at it. Find your niche and work your niche, and you'll, you'll really get there. That's the point in the business. And that's why they get to listen to these tapes, so they can understand that you've got to constantly create yourself. You're an amoeba. You're constantly changing and molding. Life is, is, is constantly perpetuating or succumbing. If it stays still, it's dead. Your business is constantly changing daily. That's why you need to listen to these tapes. Not once, not twice, not three times, multiple times, because you're going to hear different things each time. You're going to hear different things. Howard Britton had a great line that we all, you know, gentlemen we love that we used to speak for. He goes, don't listen to the music. Listen to the notes. Those are the important parts. Those are the things that are making the music, that are making the voices. Listen for the notes that are in what we're saying. Get the passion that every person is talking about on these tapes. You're going to see one thing, and I bet you, you, you notice it all the time, like when you're interviewing. There is true burning passion in the belly of everybody you talk to on these phones. True. Get that passion, carry it through, listen to their voices, get their energy. They want you to have it. That's why we're sharing it. We want to see you succeed. We want you to be your best. We want you to have as many flamingos as you want. We want you to exceed your wildest expectations. 
and have fun and learn from our experiences. The greatest compliment you can have in life is have somebody copy what you're doing. Guess what? Copy everything you hear on all these tapes and do the things that work in your market. And don't say they don't until you try them. That's my advice of listening to these tapes. But if you're not listening to these tapes, you're arrogant because you think you know it all. And you don't. Sorry. Delete the truth. I'm telling you. Look in the mirror. There's only one person controlling your destiny. It ain't the world. Life's not fair. Get over it. Well, Craig, you gave us tough love, Philly style. Sometimes the biggest motivation comes from simply looking in the mirror and being accountable to yourself. You shared the risk of growing too big and being too leveraged, and the lesson that small teams can be very profitable. You helped us refocus on what is important in life, our memories. The pink flamingos we plant in our front yard with every new experience. Thank you again for being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who was a waitress for 18 years before getting her license and selling over 5,000 homes in her career. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.